Welcome to FPC Meridian Sermon Podcast. We pray that God's hand would be upon you as you listen to the faithful preaching of his word. Let's begin. We're looking at the Old Testament book of Lamentations. You know where the, um, the biggest book is? One of the biggest books is Isaiah, and then you've got Jeremiah, and then Lamentations. And so uh, this is part two in the series all about Christmas. A couple of weeks ago we talked about Christmas stress. Today the title is Christmas Depression, and I'll be reading from Lamentations chapter 3, selected verses throughout chapter 3. My sources include David Seaman's book, Healing for Damaged Emotions, a book by Walter Trobish entitled Love Yourself, Jim and Sally Conway, their book uh, Men and Women in Midlife Crisis, a series by Bob Deffenbaugh in Lamentations, And then an article from J.D. Greer entitled, Christian, Your Depression is Real. Lamentations chapter 3. It's also on page 822 in your pew Bible. So please stand with me for the reading of God's holy word. This is the word of God. Lamentations 3 verse 1. I am the man who has seen affliction. By the rod of the Lord's wrath, he has driven me away and made me walk in darkness rather than light. Indeed, he has turned his hand against me again and again all day long. He has made my skin and my flesh grow old and has broken my bones. He has besieged me and surrounded me with bitterness and hardship. He has made me dwell in darkness like those long dead. He has walled me in so I cannot escape. He has weighed me down with chains. Even when I call out or cry for help, he shuts out my prayer. He has barred me and my way with blocks of stone. He has made my paths crooked. And then skipping to verse 13. He pierced my heart with arrows from his quiver. I became the laughingstock of all my people. They mock me in song all day long. He has filled me with bitter herbs and given me gall to drink. He has broken my teeth with gravel. He has trampled me in the dust. I have been deprived of peace. I have forgotten what prosperity is. So I say, my splendor is gone and all that I had hoped from the Lord. I remember my affliction and my wandering, the bitterness and the gall. I well remember them and my soul is downcast within me. The grass withers, the flowers fall, but the word of our God stands forever. Let us pray. Lord God, thank you for this word. Not an easy word to hear in this Christmas season, but one that many can probably relate to even in this congregation this morning. So would you, Lord, honor us by teaching us this word. Teach us your truth, Lord, and give us grace in the midst of a season that for many is not a merry season. I pray your blessings upon us now in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. In the early years of the 20th century, Sir Ernest Shackleton attempted to be the first explorer to cross Antarctica. His plan was to sail as far south as he could and then walk 100 miles or so across the South Pole. But there was an early freeze and the ship got caught and crushed in polar ice several hundred miles from their destination. For more than a year, 
Shackleton's group fought to stay alive in sub-zero temperatures. I can't even imagine. But the worst thing for these men was not the temperature. It was the darkness. You see, at the South Pole, the sun goes down in mid-May and doesn't come back up until August. Those who have experienced this say that there is nothing quite as devastating as a polar night. Darkness all the time. Weeks upon weeks with no light at all. If you think about it, no other season more fully expresses the mood of dread than the darkness of winter. We adjust our schedules to those long nights as it gets darker much earlier than we're used to. I mean, it makes for a nice change, right? For a while. Pretty soon we can start adding minutes to daylight instead of subtracting them because the winter solstice occurs on or about December the 21st, which means that Christmas comes at the darkest time of the year. I don't know if you've ever thought about that, but... uh, I wonder why the bleak midwinter was chosen as the appropriate time to remember the birth of Jesus. Why not during the long, hot nights of summer or even in the spring? Darkness suggests the human moods of anxiety and depression. They say that those who live in the northernmost regions experience these moods as seasonal affective disorder or sad. Some call it cabin fever. Darkness is really a frightening metaphor for the feeling of a world gone awry, a world without any hope. And that's why the holidays, they're difficult for lots of people. I don't know about you, but I have known many people who have struggled with deep depression. And years before it became a readily diagnosed condition, I personally experienced depression myself while a college student. Again, in my mid-twenties, and actually, I fight it a lot. At the time, when I first experienced depression, I did not know what it was or that I was suffering from it. But now I can tell you, it's more than just a case of the blues, more than just a little melancholy. True depression is, in fact, a psychological, emotional, and spiritual condition that reaches into the depths of the human soul. And in our text, not really a a Christmas text, the prophet Jeremiah described how he was driven to a place of, quote unquote, darkness without any light. And if you remember in our text, it was constantly, he has driven me away. He has turned his hand against me. He has made me dwell in darkness. On and on it goes. But the question that comes to mind is, who is he in this passage? And the answer is God. Which leads me to say there are at least four things that feed our depression. And the first is temperament. Temperament. You know, which can also be called our constitution. And, you know, even as a child, I used to wonder why I'd get sad for no reason. And a part of that was my melancholy temperament. You know, the Christian loves to say, now, now wait a minute. If, if you're in Christ, if you're a new creature in Christ... Old things have passed away, so God, you know, obviously, He has to do away with those weaknesses of your temperament, right, when when Christ comes into your life, and the answer is no, He does not. (laughs) Conversion, 
The new birth does not change your basic temperament. It doesn't. Oswald Chambers likes to say, it can put within you, quote unquote, the disposition of Jesus Christ. Becoming a Christian, though, does not change your basic temperament. David Siemens, the late David Siemens, has a wonderful book that I shared with you earlier, The Healing of Damaged Emotions. He says this, the fact that you become a Christian does not mean that from now on you cease to live with yourself as yourself. Great wisdom in that. You know, it could be that you have a propensity toward depression in your family line. I have a dear friend from another city that's struggling with depression. And um, he's been struggling with it most of his life. His dad took his life when he was 12. And he's been trying to put it all together ever since. So if there is in you, in your makeup, in your constitution, in your temperament, a sense of sadness when there's no real reason for sadness, then you better be prepared to deal with that. So temperament is one of the reasons. Secondly, guilt. This is another reason people feel depression at Christmas time, especially guilt over something that you've done. And it can be pictured in your mind. This is the, the unbelievable thing about memory. Wouldn't it be great sometimes to get rid of that memory? But some memories just won't go away. And so in our mind, whenever we've done something that we feel guilt about, in our mind, we picture it in our memory as failure. And so welcome to the human race, because we've all failed. According to one psychologist, failure, literally in our mind, can take on a life of its own. And according to the experts, the mind, this is what's crazy, the mind remembers incomplete tasks or failures longer than any accomplished activity, longer than any success. But when a project is completed, the brain places it in a special memory so that the brain no longer gives the project the priority it had before. But the experts say that failure has no closure. No closure. The brain just keeps on spinning that memory, which leads you into a continuous depression over your failed project or whatever it was you failed at. So temperament, then guilt, then third, anger. And you've probably heard this before, if not. Depression is often defined as frozen anger, frozen anger. And I want you to know if you consistently have a serious problem with depression, particularly during the holidays, it could be. And again, I don't know, but it could be you have not yet resolved some area of anger in your life. So is there frozen anger toward your parents Is there frozen anger toward another family member, something from the past? Are you angry at God? I mean, so many people need to forgive God, not because he has ever done anything to them per se, but simply because they have held him responsible. Ephesians chapter 4 verse 26 says, in your anger, do not sin. In other words, there's a there's a time for anger. And there's nothing wrong with getting angry for the right reasons. But there is an anger that does not lead to sin. 
Ephesians 4.32, we go a few verses further. It says, be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God has forgiven you. And, and obviously, there are things that happen to us that we can't let go of. And people that have hurt us that we can't let go of. And the only way you're going to get that person out of your head is to release them into God's hands and forgive them. Which is what leads to number four. So we've got temperament, then guilt, then anger. And then four is injustice. Injustice. And do you find that during the holidays, more so than any other time of the year, your frustration with your own personal injustices rise to the forefront? Well, turn with me to Romans chapter 12. Romans chapter 12 in the New Testament. Romans 12, 19 says this. Do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath. For it is written, it is mine to avenge. I will repay, says the Lord. On the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. And then verse 21 says, Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. What does this passage teach? It teaches us that the correcting of the injustices and the unfairness that you've experienced in your life is God's business. God's business. And he warns us, keep out of my business. That's a hard one, isn't it? Keep out of my business. So if you carry around this sense of injustice, it can be very destructive in your life. It not only disrupts good personal relationships, but it's also capable of producing, producing depression in your life. So if you've experienced depression and you are a believer in Jesus Christ, then hear me please, depression is not necessarily a sign of spiritual failure in your life. It's encouraging to me, and I hope it is to you, that in Scripture, many of the great people of God also struggled with depression. Case in point, the prophet Jeremiah. The prophet Jeremiah was one of them. Known as the weeping prophet, Jeremiah wept over the destruction of the city of Jerusalem that he loved, his city. Our text recounts his mood following this tragic event. So in Lamentations 3 is where we were, but in Lamentations chapter 2, verse 11, he says this, My eyes fail from weeping. I am in torment within. My heart is poured out on the ground because my people are destroyed, because children and infants faint in the streets of the city. For the rest of chapter 2, Jeremiah describes the images he saw as the city of Jerusalem was under siege. And the most difficult thing of all for Jeremiah is to realize that this terrible event was not only allowed by God, but it was initiated by God. God had told the people of Israel, the people of Judah, to repent or else. Well, they did not heed his call, but instead they persisted in their rebellion. So finally, God's judgment fell on God's people. And Jeremiah is, is broken hearted over what he sees. And so I want you to listen to his words 
Uh, I read a few of these, but we're going to read a little further into Lamentations chapter 3. Once again, at verse 18. Lamentations three eighteen. So I say, my splendor is gone. What's he talking about there? He's talking about his strength. My strength is gone. My splendor is gone. And all that I had hoped from the Lord... I remember my affliction and my wandering, the bitterness and the gall. I well remember them, and my soul is downcast within me. Yet this I call to mind. Now, think about that. He's remembering all the bad things, and he's remembering them intentionally. And we'll talk about that in just a moment, but keep that in mind. I, I call this to mind, therefore I have hope. Because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed for His compassions. Never fail. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. So, Jeremiah was at ground zero in Jerusalem. The year is 586 B.C. His home lies in ruins. His city is gone. His people are gone. He has seen unbelievable horrors that we can't even imagine. And to top it off, he knows, he knows that the Lord was behind it all. Yet even though he knows that, in fact, because he knows that, he is able to make an immediate about face and do some self-talk and turn himself from despair to hope. How did he do it? Well, it may sound trite, but it came as a direct answer to his prayers. Because he poured out his anger. His depression to God and God touched him and helped him. Look at verse 25, um, chapter 3, verse 25 through 29. The Lord is good to those whose hope is in him, to the one who seeks him. It is good to wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. It is good for a man to bear the yoke while he is young. Let him sit alone in, in silence, for the Lord has laid it on him. Let him bury his face in the dust. There may yet be hope. It's really hard for us to, to know, to really know what Jeremiah experienced to be a man whose entire city has been devastated, destroyed, and to be taken captive to a foreign land. That's why the book of Lamentations has a special place among the Jews even today. It is also why they have a, an annual day of remembrance in which they read Lamentations and they remember the loss of the first temple, which stood for 410 years until it was destroyed in 586 B.C. And they remember the second temple, which stood for 420 years and destroyed in 70 A.D. So since depression tends to accompany many people's holidays, I chose this passage as a way of speaking to that. And you need to know what you can do to battle the crippling condition known as depression. And so I want to suggest five lessons for us to remember, and I hope you're following in your outline. Number one, it is good to identify the loss that has caused your depression. It's a, a good thing to pinpoint what is it that's causing this depression. If you can, and sometimes you can't, but if so, identify that loss that has caused your depression. And that at the root of almost every depression is the feeling of having lost something or someone. There's this loss of energy. And it could be you're exhausted from overwork. I mean, there's a loss of surroundings. If you've recently moved to a new area or whatnot, 
There's a loss of routine if you recently retired or you lost a job. And so what, what is that loss? And, you know, for a lot of us at this time of year, it's a person. It's a person we've lost. And it's a wonderful thing to remember that loss, even in a worship service like this. And to, to mumble in silence prayer. A prayer to the Lord to give you extra grace because this is a hard time of year for you. I mean, there are songs that, you know, my wife loves Christmas carols and she started really early with the Christmas carols this year. But you know what? I was I was good with that this year. And but there are songs that will come on either Alexa or whatever. And uh, as soon as I hear that song. It's over. You know, if Judy Garland sings, have yourself a merry little Christmas one more time, I'm going to be a mess. But that leads to the second, the second lesson for today. It is it is good to express emotion about your loss. You know, there's nothing wrong with a good cry. In fact, it's very therapeutic. Experts today reveal that we are becoming a nation that does not know how to cry. What a sad thing. Jeremiah was called the weeping prophet, as I said, and he understood the value of expressing his emotions. And experts say that a good cry can, number one, help you rid your body of harmful chemicals, byproducts of stress, to give you... Your vascular, circulatory, respiratory, and nervous system a workout. Three, provide psychological relief. And four, relieve tensions. And I testify to the, the, the support that comes from a good cry. And I've, I've told you before, I, I cry at Walmart opening. So it, it doesn't really, you know, I, I can cry very easily and it uh, doesn't take a whole lot for me. But uh, this time of year, all it takes is that song or that picture that I see in my home of a family member that's not here anymore and it's over. But it's not bad. It's good. It's good to have that cry. And some of you are crying this season and I'm crying with you. The third lesson to remember is it is good to ask for help with your depression. It is good to ask for help. Honestly, it's difficult enough for any one of us to be objective. But when you're in a state of depression, you can often lose perspective. And so find a trusted friend with whom you can honestly share your feelings. Someone you can trust to listen to you while at the same time withholding judgment about your situation. Do you have that kind of friend? Now, you know, there is depression and then there's depression. If you're clinically depressed, in other words, if your body chemistry has been disturbed to the point that your depression seems to cause more depression, then you need to know that this vicious cycle is almost impossible to break without professional help. Which is why every Sunday in our bulletin, Two competent, qualified professionals are listed for you to contact. Lindsay Kyle and Michael Preston. Lindsay is here uh, at your disposal throughout the week. Michael Preston is here on Tuesdays. And their numbers, their contact is there. I hope that you'll consider that. 
If you've not been to counseling before, then my question is, why not? I'm a firm believer in counseling. I think everybody needs counseling. Everybody. So, if you're trapped in a cycle of depression and, and you just can't seem to get out of it, then let me know. Let someone know, please, so that you can get the help that you need. If your depression is not clinical and you want to work yourself out of your depression... Then let's look at the fourth lesson here today. The fourth lesson is it is good to focus on the blessing of your depression, which sounds like a strange thing, doesn't it? But in just about every situation, as you recall information about your loss, there is a positive side as well as a negative side to what you have lost. My wife showed me on Facebook. I don't do Facebook, uh, but she shares it with me. And this is a good one that she saw this week on Facebook, that if you rearrange the letters in depression, you get I pressed on. Rearrange those letters. You will use every one of them. I pressed on. The point is your current situation is not your final destination. God doesn't want you to quit, to give up. He wants you to press on, and by His grace, He will enable you to press on. Now, it could be you're thinking, I really don't see any positives to my depression, to my situation. Well, I'm sure Jeremiah did not either. But listen to what he said in Jeremiah 3, 31 through 33. For no one is cast off by the Lord forever. Though he brings grief, he will show compassion. So great is his unfailing love, for he does not willingly bring affliction or grief to anyone. And so we believe very strongly in the scripture's teaching of the sovereignty of God. But I love that passage. He does not willingly bring affliction or grief to anyone. He's not trying to hurt you. He is on your side. Jeremiah was saying under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit that nothing in your life is outside of God's control. Everything, hard to believe, but everything, according to Scripture, and I believe Scripture, everything has a purpose. I love good preachers. I love great old preachers. Charles Spurgeon was a great preacher. He was called the Prince of Preachers. He was a great English preacher who lived in the 19th century. And even though he was a Christian He suffered from depression. At the age of 33, he started experiencing physical pain beyond what most of us could endure because there was not the medical care that we have today to take care of it. He had burning kidney pain, uh, also called Bright's disease, as well as gout, rheumatism, and neuritis. And he said this, I could readily enough have laid violent hands upon myself to escape from my misery of spirit. And this is a great man of God saying that. And yet he found that there is for all believers, regardless of their emotional state, a wonderful comfort to be found in knowing God's fatherly providence. He said this, though our trials may come from the world, the flesh and the devil, they are overruled and ordained by God who treats them as an important part of our new life in Jesus Christ. And, you know, I've always told you lots about Martin Luther because he's one of my heroes. He helped start the Protestant Reformation. He didn't know he was starting a Reformation, but he did. He lived 500 years ago. He he was a a Christian, but he went through times so dark that his wife would remove all of the knives from their home for fear that he'd kill himself. 
He wrote this. For more than a week, I was close to the gates of death and hell. I trembled constantly. I could find no thoughts of Christ, only of desperation and blasphemy of God. And later, he was able to to remind us that the German word for depression is the word schwermut. Schwer can mean heavy as well as difficult. Mut is the word for courage. So schwermut means the courage to live with what is difficult. The courage to be heavy hearted. The things that happen to us, and I didn't originate this thought, but it's a great thought. The things that happen to us are not as important as the way we respond to those events in our lives. And then the final lesson is it is good to remember the right things. It is good to remember the right things. In other words, there are some images that you simply cannot unsee. Maybe it's someone you lost. Some place you've lost, something you've lost. Remember it, is what Jeremiah says. Remember it. Keep in mind that Jeremiah wrote down all of the horrors that he witnessed. And not only did he know it was pointless to try to forget what he saw, but he probably knew then what we know now, that to try to repress those memories of certain events only serves to cause us worse problems. So to remember your loss, even to communicate those losses to others, would not only be appropriate, but actually healthy. And the way you're enabled to face those things of the past is by also remembering the mercies of the Lord. And so once again, in Jeremiah, Jeremiah in Lamentations, chapter 3, verse 21. Yet this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. Because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed, for His compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. And that brings us to our verse of the week, which is Isaiah chapter 9, verse 2. If you're looking in your bulletin, let's read this verse out loud together. Isaiah 9, verse 2. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of the shadow of death, a light has dawned. Remember, for those like you who have been living in the land of the shadow of death, a light has dawned. And that light is Jesus Christ. Jesus said, I am the light of the world. I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Let us pray together. Lord Jesus, we thank you for being the light of the world and the light in our darkness. Would you give us grace, Lord, that we might understand all the things that we face and all the difficult things that we can't even understand, that we might totally give those to you, Lord, that you might give us grace to release them into your hands and even to give you thanks for them and to see them as a blessing, Lord, as hard as that is. Please, Lord, enable us to... To pour out our hearts to you, even the hard things that we want to say to you and need to say to you. And would you be merciful to those who pour out their hearts to you, Lord, and would you hear their prayers? And for some, their difficulty might lead them into a new relationship with you, Lord Jesus. And so that is my prayer that the good that you've promised will come into the people's lives that I have before me today. That good that you've promised the purpose that, that you have in store for them, that it would be a good thing in spite of what it looks like on the outside now. Give them grace, Lord. This is a hard time of year for so many people seated before me in, in this congregation. 
and for losses experienced. We're missing people today, Lord. People from this congregation, people from our families. Help us, Lord, to keep our eyes upon you and to remember those people and to talk about them and the joy that they brought into our lives. Thank you for the the promise of eternal life in Jesus Christ, our Lord, and the promise of being reunited with those that we have lost. I ask all of this in Christ's name. Amen.